the life and the ministry and the devotion of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We'll take a look at the scripture and then seek to draw some parallels in the life and the ministry of our Lord. 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is for Saul, because of Saul, and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, that is, had made a covenant with them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel in Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, Well, what shall I do for you? Wherewith shall I make the atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, Well, what ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them, hang them up unto the Lord in Gilbeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for a trial, the son of Barzillai, the Mahalasite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning 
of the barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, the concubine of Saul, had done. David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the streets of Bethshane, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son. And they gathered the bones of them that, had, that were hung, hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulchre of Kish, his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, the first 14 verses. Let us have clearly in mind the context of the story. David is king. Three long years of famine has cursed the land. It's difficult for us to know fully what three long years of famine would really be like. Three years. The author of this book says year after year. The emphasis upon the length of it trying and tedious, hunger and poverty, no rain, the crops fail, famine swept the land. To get just a little bit of an idea of the inconvenience of them for three solid years with famine bad enough to be recorded, we think of our own grumblings and groanings and moanings in the face of our energy crisis that has lasted now just a matter of weeks. But our whole nation groans in the inconvenience of it all. Think of food and three years, year after year, after year. The people are very unhappy about it. 
if it was possible for them to have congressional and Senate committees to investigate, I'm certain that they would have had a thousand wanting to know why the famine was here, who had been derelict in his duty. And there was meeting after meeting, no doubt, to try to determine what had happened. It had come to such a very bad state that I suppose the stability of the throne itself was in question. And David sends inquiries now to determine why in the world this terrible suffering has come upon all the people. Now you see, whether it's right or wrong to believe that all suffering has a reason, we can pretty well trace it back to know that most of the suffering that we know about does have a reason of some kind behind it. And this is what David discovered. The children of Israel had crossed over into the promised land. Joshua was the leader of the people. Joshua had entered into a treaty with the Gibeonites that they would be spared. Saul, the first king, in coming to the throne, forgot the treaty obligation. And he commanded that the sons of the Gibeonites be slaughtered. Saul had forgotten his sins, but God had not. And the treaty that had had divine sanction upon it was broken. And that act of disobedience on the part of Saul, the first king, was responsible for the drought that came years later. David, discerning the cause for this terrible drought and for the terrible famine, sends for the leaders of the Gibeonites. And he says to them, I have discovered the reason for our problem as a nation, as a people of God, that we had broken a covenant, a treaty that we had entered into with you. And now I want to make it right with you. What can I do? The sons of the Gibeonites said the reason for the discomfort that you've experienced for the three years, the reason for the drought coming upon your land, for the terrible famine that has choked off the life of your land, is because you have indeed broken a treaty with us a treaty that we made with Joshua, Saul forgot it. Now, we don't want, you'll not be able to make restitution to us by giving us any gold or silver from Saul's house. So you see, Saul's dead. Said, now, you're not going to be able to buy us off. I don't care how much money in gold or in silver you want to give us from Saul. We don't want it. And furthermore, King David, we don't want to say to you, you go out and kill certain of the men and that will make restitution. We don't want that either. 
And so King David said, well, you don't want gold or silver to make restitution? You don't want me to punish by taking the lives of any of the people of, of Israel? You don't want me to do it. What can I do? That the drought might end. We want to make restitution to you that we can then be on good terms with our God. And these leaders of the Gibeonites say, we don't want your gold, we don't want your silver, and we don't want you to kill anybody, but we want you to give us seven of the sons of Saul and let us do with them as we will. Sometimes the scripture, as we read along in the sing-song fashion, the scriptures cannot quite convey all of the drama, all of the tragedy, all of the heartbreak, all of the things that are involved. For it simply says, give them up to us, let us have seven of his sons be delivered unto us. We will hang them up before the Lord in Gilby of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. I'm certain it was not quite as easy as that, or as fast as that, or as simple as that. Can you imagine for a moment? Here's the king, King David. Saul, because of his sin, had been removed from the throne. He had died, he'd been killed. It, here are the sons of Saul, they still in the land bear the title of prince. And the enemy comes and says, give us seven of the sons of the first king, seven of the princes of the land, and we're going to hang them. We don't want you to do it, we're going to do it. We'll hang them there in the hill before the Lord. Imagine the mental anguish, the torment, the price that was being extracted so that a nation might be right with God. I think there was great grieving in his soul. It was not quite as easy or as quick as we read it in the scripture. And finally, in the weighing of the anguish of his soul, in the knowledge that here the people had suffered through the three years of the terrible drought and the terrible famine, in the knowledge that there were literally hundreds and maybe thousands of old people who were starving in the streets, and here were little children who were dying. And the king weighed in those balances seven sons of Saul that had brought this terrible thing to pass against the hundreds and the thousands of the people of Israel. And he said, all right, you can have them. And then he selects out seven of the sons. Rizpah, the mother, with an anguish in her breast that goes beyond any word to describe. Here's the arrangement that has been made as the soldiers of the king come. 
already she is bereft. Saul is dead. She who had had a place of power and authority in the kingdom and now relegated to no place within the kingdom, only the comfort of her sons. Here, as the soldiers come to say the king has decreed that this one and 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 this one, seven, be handed over to the Gibeonites. No doubt with a beating of her breast and with many tears that flowed, almost enough of the tears to flow to water the land that was known in the drought and in famine. She watched as the sons of Saul, her sons, were taken away. And she sees them hung there on the hill. It says here, and Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the rains came, until water dropped upon them out of heaven. And she took her place wrapped there with that covering of the sackcloth, the sign of mourning and suffering. And with her own little frail hands, with the love that only a mother can know and the fierceness of a mother and the protection of that which is hers, she beat off the vultures that came to chew away at the bodies of her seven sons. And she beat away in the midst of the night the howling jackals that came from the edge to eat the bodies of her sons. It's a strange story. It's a true story. It's a story of suffering. It's a story of anguish. It is a story of patience. And there are great lessons that the spiritually discerning can learn. Though everybody in Israel would forsake these seven boys, Rizpah will not. Rizpah the frail little mother cannot prevent the soldiers from taking them. She cannot with brute strength prevent their death. But she can take her place and watch over those bodies so that no more dishonor will come upon them. And she takes the sackcloth and hides from the sun and sleeps upon it. And she hides those bodies from the dogs, the wild dogs, and the vultures. And she stays all that long period of time, from the beginning of the barley harvest until the time that the rains come. I can imagine what happens. 
The passers-by come. There are those who know certainly because it spread like wildfire throughout the kingdom. Certainly the Gibeonites knew all about it. For the Gibeonites had spread the word as to what had happened, that David had delivered unto them the seven sons of Saul, that they were going to hang them and that they had been hung. The Gibeonites came to look upon that scene, many to laugh, many to jeer, many to taunt, some no doubt to cry, some no doubt to say some word of comfort to the poor little mother standing guard over the bodies there of her seven sons. But there were those who in cruelty laughed. There were those who came by and says, Rizpah, serves you right. It's because of Saul, your husband, the first king, that all the miseries came on Israel. Serves you right. There are a lot of cruel people in this world. In the midst of all of that cruelty, in the midst of all that heartache, in the midst of all that sorrow, she remained faithful to the task. Oh, in this we see the wonder, the ability in a woman's part to be faithful in the midst of her own personal suffering and sorrow. You see, Rizpah, the mother of these seven boys, hung there in order to make restitution for the sins of Saul, the father. She recognized that they were there not for their own sins, not for their own failures, not because they themselves personally had been wrong in their relationship to the Gibeonites, she recognized that here were innocent sons dying for the sins of others, and she remained faithful to them. We have just a little tiny hint of the sorrow that she endured, silently endured, how the story is repeated by the thousands right here in our own city. You don't have to travel to Southeast Asia or to Russia or to Europe or to Africa, right here, right in our own midst, right in our own city, thousands of faithful, godly women who watch by the bedsides or their sickness, the thousands who silently and bravely and with a strength that comes to them from God mourn the death of loved ones, the women who are patient with sorry, godless husbands. On the other side of the coin, we see but a glimpse of some godly men who are patient with godless and sorry women. We see some of the bitterness of life's trials that come through the wrongdoing of others. Rizpah had nothing to do with that military decision that Saul, her husband, had made that had brought this terrible act to bear upon the people. And so it is that many a boy and many a girl suffers innocently because of the sins of parents. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. I guess it's because I hate this stuff so much. I, I happened to notice that commercial, that little bit public service ad on the television. It shows a youngster standing on the stairs, and it says, does your boy, does your youngster have a drinking problem? Little fellow, 
And then the camera moves over to a husband and a wife who are having a fight because of liquor. And the word of the ad is, if you have a problem, the little boy has a problem. There are thousands of children who suffer because mothers and dads are liquor heads and not only squander money upon liquor, but squander lives. There are thousands of children who suffer because mothers and dads have priorities of life so mixed up and so confused that the home is hell. And there are thousands of parents who suffer because there are thankless, ungrateful, unthinking children. Oh, what a picture this is indeed, a picture of how Christ suffered, how Christ suffered for my sins and for yours, how he who knew no sin suffered because of my sins and suffered because of your sins. How Jesus, patient like Rizpah, stands faithful to drive back the vultures and the wild dogs of sin that encroaches upon our lives. Oh, what a picture we have of Jesus like Rizpah at the very door of our hearts with a faithfulness unwearied in a desire to help us. What a picture we have also what a parallel. Here were these seven innocent sons hung by the enemy as they exacted their retribution because of the sins of Saul, the father. Oh, what a picture we have of our own indifference, of our hardness, of our dullness, of our sin the mobs that came, both of the Gibeonites and of the Israelites, how they made light, how they, how they made more burdensome the horror that poor Rizpah bore, trying to take care of the bodies of her seven sons. How the world laughs still how the vast majority of a world in thinking about Jesus still says, so what? There are multiplied millions who knowing of the love of God and the glory of what Jesus did on the cross, look at the cross and say, I don't care. By the millions, there are those who laugh at you being in God's house this hour or anybody being in a house of worship today, or anybody reading a Bible, or anybody declaring himself a Christian. There are those who laugh, and there are those who actively and positively oppose everything that is Christian. But what a picture we have with Rizpah, patient, patient in the midst of the jeers, in the midst of the taunts, 
in the midst of the laughter, in the midst of the misunderstandings as to what it's all about, what a picture we have. But notice, if you will, please, note the influence of this one devoted life. How many people have ever lived in the history of the world? We don't know. Quite a few billion. But what Rizba did in the patience of her suffering has been written into this book that has been translated into over a thousand languages. And a thousand groups of people reading different languages can now know her name and know the greatness of her suffering and the greatness of her patience and can know the joy of the encouragement that comes in following after her. I don't know what David was doing all this time. I'm certain that knowing what we do about David, his heart must have been bleeding. There was anguish, there was heartache, there was sorrow on his part in having to give up these seven sons of Saul, the first king, in knowing what would happen to them. I don't know what he's doing all this time, but at last word is brought to the king about Rizpah. And they say, Your Majesty, do you know that ever since the Gibeonites took those sons of Saul and, and hung them there, that Rizpah, the mother, has been there in sackcloth and ashes? Did you know that, Your Majesty? Did you know that through the day as the vultures circle overhead, I had no idea of the horror of anything like that until I went to India. Driving between New Delhi and Agra, we saw by the thousands the vultures circling. We stopped and got out, and the vultures came close, and there's something horrible about the sweep of those gigantic wings and the curve of those gigantic beaks capable of tearing the flesh. And that little frail Rizba, by the day to beat away from the bodies of her sons these terrible birds and by the night to shoo away the wild dogs they said, Your Majesty, do you know what this poor woman's doing? And David gives an order. A royal burial. These are sons of a king. A royal burial. And the command is given. Gather the bones of Saul, who had been killed by the Philistines, and Jonathan, Gather the bones of these seven and place them together in the sepulchre of Kish and let it be done with the royal trumpet sounding and let it be done as an offering to God. And they performed all that the king commanded and after that, God 
was entreated for the land. I do not know what trials or sufferings or burdens so many of you carry, but God knows. And the same God who gave strength to Rizpah will bring strength to you. Stay close to the Lord and learn the lessons that God has for you in every book, in every chapter, in every verse of his word. And determine with whatever strength is yours, a strength that will increase with the strength that God will give you, that in the face of whatever comes day by day, you will be faithful to your task. As a Christian, if there are those who laugh at your Christianity, be patient in the midst of it and face the cross. Are there those who misunderstand your desire to live for the Lord Jesus? Be patient. And God will give you added strength. In the face of all that you face, do you need to lay hold anew and afresh to the power that God is willing to give? Then do it now. Now, to renew your covenant relationship with the Lord. Now, to be strong in him, patient. And the word of your patience will bring honor to your king. Father in heaven, there is not a one within this room, not a one before their television sets, not a one, Father, but that does not have to carry some burden, some problem. Lord, teach us from this passage. Teach us that in our faithfulness, and in our patience, and in our growing faith in you, that we can be a witness and a glory to your name. We pray, O oh Lord, that those in who have heard these words read from your book would at this moment know Christ as Savior and Lord, and in knowing him, he who died for us in the face of the laughter and the jibes and the taunts of a world, Lord, help us open our hearts fully to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hymn number 235, Only Trust Him. And that's the invitation, Trust in Jesus who died, who was punished for you. Accept him, love him, believe in him, and he will bring eternity to your soul.
and cleansing. You who are Christians, we encourage you and we invite you, and somehow I wish I could say to you individually and personally just how much we really want you to be a part of our church family. Come, come letter in hand, come by promise of letter, come by your Christian statement, come in any way that we receive you as members as we stand and sing. suffer, though often for the wrongdoings and the sins of others. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would use us 
to help them and to minister to them and to bring encouragement to them. We thank you for those who have patiently borne suffering because of us. And we ask forgiveness. We pray now that you would bless us through this day until we have the joy of gathering again to better equip ourselves to be the kind of Christians that bring an honor to you. Until it's our privilege in the evening hour to sing again, to worship and read your word. Until that time that we gather again as your people giving testimony to you here. May we know your presence in each of our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.